Welcome to the Truth of the Manners podcast. I am your host, Jonathan, and this is episode 132. If you don't mind, let's give a round of applause to all of our new and consistent listeners. We thank you all in advance for continuing to press play at your own convenience. So there were two passages of reference that I've mentioned last week, and I want to take the time to share them with you today. But before I do that, please allow me to set the foundation so we can build up the importance of Scripture. Of course, the two scriptures that I used last week are essential when it comes to to bringing about clarity as it relates to keeping the faith. Now, I pray and hope that everyone is doing fine as the holidays approach and the end of the year approach. This is time where people decide to start reflecting and gathering and thinking about what they're going to do in this coming year. So, I encourage everyone to finish out strong and any loose ends in terms of relationships and issues. I would say try to make amends, try to be the bigger person and see what you can accomplish by changing the philosophy that you have going into those issues. Okay. Now, if you're struggling, my advice to you in order to keep the faith is to think about why it's happening to you. What is the reason leading up to it? One of the suggestions that I have is that God could be testing you. And if that's the case, you should remain encouraged and hang in there and trust the process. Remember in these moments, it's important that we are reminded of what? The word of God and what it has to say about different matters that come up and it's important that if we are students of the word, we should be looking on how to take the word of God and apply it to apply it to the scenario on how to behave and respond appropriately. Okay. The word of God addresses almost everything that I've ever encountered or come across. It's all about figuring out how does it apply? And how can I take the word of God and utilize it to benefit me to respond Christ-like? The whole goal of responding Christ-like is allowing what he would do to shape your worldview to then impact what you eventually do in the moment. Now, the focus that we need to have is that We need to allow God's precepts and suggestions to be what what influences us to do the things that we do. Now, for proper counsel, again, it's the word of God. The passage that tells us this is as follows. Let's go to Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4. We're going to read this in the Amplified Version. For whatever was written in earlier times is written for our understanding, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, 
we might have hope and overflow with confidence and his promises. Now, in my opinion, that's beautifully written. Let's hear this one more time. Amplified version. Romans 15.4 Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. Now, of course, there are other translations that are distinct and want to give you a different perspective of the same verse. And I welcome them in as long as you understand the verse for what it is. I don't believe you can get lost. There are some translations that challenge the integrity of the scriptures. But I believe that as a student of the word of God, you should be able to identify those and immediately know that that's a translation that you should not succumb to. Okay. And on that note, let's highlight how it is written in the NIV. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provided, we might have hope. Keys here that are written is to teach us so that we might have hope. And, and I think it's important to stress how we might have hope because there needs to be an understanding that if you're reading the scriptures and you're not in agreement with what the scriptures say then the scriptures will not provide you hope if you do not believe that Jesus died on the cross if you do not believe that God Yahweh the one true God is the creator of the universe and that he loves you and cares about you then nothing that you're reading from the scriptures will resonate in fact, you will reject it. It will go through the ears and out through the other. Why? Because the scriptures you don't see as an authority or, or a guide or a stable or worldview for you. And therefore, the scriptures will never make sense. Your bias, your prejudice will be ultimately why you're blind to the truth. The scriptures are designed to reveal the truth to those who have believed and do believe in Jesus Christ because everything that falls from the scriptures resonates with your worldview. Keep this in mind. So what was written is designed that it might bring you hope, but that might bring you hope is predicated over where you place the word of God of value in your life, which means if you're not saved, which means if you don't care, which means if you're not open to learning about the truth, then the scriptures will mean absolutely nothing to you. Right? The scripture says you will be forever hearing, but never perceiving. You'll be forever seeing and never understanding. Very clear on that. Now, the NLT says such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Love this. The entity speaks to the idea that we need to wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And that's important because sometimes God has to move things around in order to bless you, which is why patience is required. Okay. Let's look at one more translation, and I'm actually going to do a combination of the English Standard Version and the New King James Version in conjunction. And it says that what was written before 
or former days was written for our learning and or for our instruction. What was written before or former days were written for our learning and or for our instruction. So I took portions out of both to emphasize how it was written before or former days and how it was done for our learning and for our instruction. The second passage that I hinted at last week was 1 Corinthians 10, 6. And it says, now these things, the warnings, the amortations took place as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Now these things, the warnings, the amorations took place as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. I just want to look at this translation here in the King James Version, the New King James Version, for it says, Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The wording here is special and unique. It says these things became our example. Powerful point. These things became our example, and the word here, lust, takes it to a whole different level of understanding because the Amplified Version says, crave evil, which isn't bad wording at all. Please don't take offense. But lust really addresses the problem and how we are led down the path of sin. That's when you are prioritizing your desires of your flesh which is your lust above God's precepts and suggestions to satisfy your own pleasures. It's all about you. And when it's all about you, you're prioritizing you and you're not making room for God. And that's what happens when it comes to lusting. God's design and desire is to prevent you from destroying yourself. How does he prevent you from destroying yourself? He's axing you to submit to him and to place him above your needs when you place yourself above god then everything you do is emanating to make you feel good and if you're desiring to feel good you will cross lines you will cross boundaries you would just you will disrespect people you will harm people people will, people are going to be collaborative damage as a result on your journey to fulfill your desires this is the whole reason why selflessness is very important remember one of the things that we are asked to do is crucify the flesh and its desires as we attempt to carry our own cross right jesus says we have our own cross to bear which of course is no walking apart by any means necessary right it's a challenge for sure but this is what God is asking us to do. Here are three additional verses that state this in the context, right? Let's go to Galatians 5.24. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So if you belong to God, guess what? Part of belonging to God is crucifying your flesh and its desires that aren't aligned with God's kingdomship his standard his rulership you get rid of that that is what dies 
Let's go to Romans 8, 13, verses 13 to 14. Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 13 through 14. And this is what it says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So, living according to the flesh is looking to fulfill what you desire by any means. If we live by these rules spiritually, we will die. And also fleshly, potentially we will die. Right? Death we will be right down the road if we keep living that way. However, if we decide to walk in God's purpose for our life, not only will he be of assistance, but he will bless you and guide you into all truth. And of course, you experience joy, which is an inward feeling, not happiness, which is an outward expression. Which is only something that is recognized when we see the difference between being happy and being joyful. Now, from what I understand, joy is not just an inward experience. It's a permanent feeling and or satisfying feeling it satisfies you that's what god does actually jesus talks about if i give you something to drink you will never be thirsty again right if i give you something to drink to drink you will never be thirsty again that's very important and very critical because he's highlighting how he's able to fulfill you and everything else won't you're always going to want more you're always going to feel like you're not where you need to be because you're not fulfilled. And that's what happens when it comes to the desires that we have as human beings. We're going to always want more. Hey, take a look at the gentleman who built two vineyards. The reason why he built the second one is because rather than being satisfied with one, he said, I need to build another one to stack more stuff that I have. That's just greed. That's just not being content. And that's because God is not fulfilling him. But the materialistical things are the things that he is in pursuit of. And he doesn't see how those things will never satisfy you. The last verse we, that we can point out is let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. Now, of course, we haven't gotten to this portion of the gospel message, but I think it's apropos to mention here. Again, it's the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. And it says, then Jesus, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what I was talking about earlier. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Beautiful passage there. It sums up a lot of what I was mentioning. So I want to thank you so much for your patience and because I want to really take the time to go over these two verses today before we jump into what I believe God has blessed me to share in reference to this week. Okay. Well, I believe God has blessed me by reminding me the importance of family and friendships. So I'm revisiting our segment 
as each week I'm calling you to ask yourself, how has God blessed you? Take the time to reflect on how the Lord has blessed you in the previous week. And I'm telling you, just being reminded of the importance of family and friendships has been a true blessing. Because if you think about it, a best friend can certainly be like a brother or sister, even though you aren't blood related. It's about the connection, not necessarily blood related. Hey, there are a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not blood related, but what do we have in common? Well, we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and we are called to live the Christian difference. And therefore, that is enough for us to bond when it comes to one another. And as it relates to a friend being like a brother, of course, there's our bonds that get developed over time. And those bonds that get developed over time can be viewed as more of a brother or sister, you know, related bond. You know, your brother and sister that you're blood related. So sometimes the connections that get established with a friend can be stronger, right? The different dynamics that come with how these things play out has always been interesting and unpredictable, okay? But in my case this week, I was celebrating a birthday with my longtime friend of mine, Jennifer, and I included my older brother, Adrian, and my college friend, Jordan. And we had an amazing time. Of course, Jen's mom and her husband was a part of the celebration, and it was an amazing feeling. We did a group activity, and we had lunch after. And I appreciate the time that I took off to indulge in this adventure. And the biblical verse that came to me after reflecting over this amazing time that I had was Proverbs seventeen seventeen, And this is what it says. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Why does this verse hit home for me? Well, if you have a friendship of goodness, right? Then you are truly in a situation where you are blessed. Now, for those who don't recognize the language, and I've mentioned this before on my podcast, is that in philosophy, there was a man by the name of Aristotle who takes on the topic of relationships. And one of the, the conversations and relationships that he speaks about is friendships. And when he talks about friendships, he talks about how we all have three types of friendships. The friendship of unity, the friendship of pleasure, the friendship of goodness. Now, the friendship of unity is like a barber or someone that you rely upon to enhance your appearance. And that person, that barber, whether it's a woman or a male, is relying on you to provide them for their services. That's a friendship. There's a connection. There's a bond there. You may not know each other, but you're utilizing one another to get ahead whether to make a living or to stand in the presence of others feeling confident. You have the friendship of pleasure, and this is much more 
centered around a desire, whether it's sexual pleasure, right? That happens. Or there's the friendship of just enjoying one another's company, right? If I want to go out to eat, I have a friend that I like to go out to eat with. If I want to go to movies, I have a movie friend. If I want to go to the gym, I have somebody that I can go to the gym with. If I want to work out, I have somebody to work out with. Whatever activity that you enjoy doing, this is where that friendship comes into play. And in some cases, you may get to know that person a little bit more outside of what you are doing with that person. And who knows, that friendship can then shift over to the friendship of goodness. And the friendship of goodness is one that's been established for a very long time. You've been through the fire with this individual. This person cares about you at all times, even in the rough spots, the ups and downs that are deemed to happen. They don't leave. Okay. The length of the relationship, something that I've talked about, the length of the friendship is a seasoned one, able to withstand all difficulties. Now, let's address the other half of the verse. A brother or sister, right, is supposed to be present there for you whenever hardships arrive and when good times arrive. The scripture says they are present in the midst of adversity. And I would say I believe that I'm that for Jen and she's that for me. I'm that for my brother and he's that for me. I believe I'm that for Eric, who you've heard of, and he's that for me. My belief is that you should desire to aim for those type of friendships and work to build that with a family member as well. Of course, this is not an overnight thing, an overnight sensation. It's a tiring but yet necessary and fulfilling process where you have a connection that can help you get through the rough times that you could talk to about the good times, right? God did not create man to be alone. And I understand that's a reference in terms of why a woman and a man is needed, right? Because obviously I'm talking about the loneliness of a guy. And I understand the enhancement of what a woman can do. And I understand that God, the only relationship that he truly accepts or he deems as acceptable is when a marriage happens. But there's also the importance of relationship, friendship, because that's also what Jonathan was to David. Okay, these friendships are there to sharpen us, right? Iron sharp as iron. Now, of course, that verse can be utilized not just in friendship, but also acquaintances. But the whole point is, the whole point is, is that you should be able to disagree, argue, and yet the friendship or the brotherly or sisterly love should remain intact, regardless of how bad it gets. And on that note, here's a reminder that myself and Daniel encourage you to reflect over the week and you'll be surprised where the presence of God was and how he was with you minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. You just need to reflect and pay close attention to the details of our lives in the words of Jen because God's presence can be found there. With that being said, let's pray before we dive into the word. Oh God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the power of prayer. 
It's through prayer we have access to talk to you about anything, anywhere, anytime. We honor you, we glorify you, we praise you for who you are and not what you have done. As we take it one day at a time, I ask that all who are listening, please make time for the Lord. If it's reading the word, amen. If it's praying, amen. If it's listening to gospel music and worship music, amen. If it's encouraging and engaging in productive biblical conversations, amen. By doing these things, we are drawing near to you, O God. So let us give you praise in all that we do. If we're eating, let's do it to the glory of God. If we are working out, let's do it to the glory of God. If we're working a job or a career, let's do it to the glory of God. Let's attempt to honor you, Lord Jesus, in all that we do. If you agree with this, call to action, and you're ready to dive in the word today. Please say this with confidence and with joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue with the gospel of Matthew series, there was something that caught my eye in preparation from last week, and I thought I could actually merge that idea with last week's episode, the application and our principle of faith. And I honestly didn't know with certainty if that portion would be long enough. So to be safe and to make sure these episodes are reasonable to hear, I decided to carry it, carry this message to this week's episode, which emphasizes two passages I referenced last week but didn't provide verses and chapters, which is why I covered that within the first 15 minutes. The whole goal was that I wanted to provide these verses and what I said so that it could be a much more thorough connection. Now, let's go to the passage that we have this week. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. And we're going to read this in the English Standard Version. For it says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now when I took now what took me by surprise after this text was verse 22, really. However, let me tell you how verse 19 was interesting. It was an interesting intro and it helps set up obviously verse 22. It's normally what happens. The previous verses help set up ultimately the conclusion that is provided in the latter verse. But when I looked at verse 19 and 20, it was all about the cost of following Jesus, right? It's about true discipleship being tested. And I thought that was pretty cool. And at first, when I titled this podcast, it was about the inheritance that's everlasting. But then I decided to focus a little bit more on the discipleship. And my original goal specifically, again, was just to address verse 22. But as you look at the verses leading up to verse 22, 
there's a powerful message that is being related to us that points to true dedication when it comes to discipleship. So I changed the title and titled it Authentic Discipleship and the Inheritance That's Everlasting. Authentic Discipleship and the Inheritance That's Everlasting. So with that being said, let me provide to you what I took out of this and I hope that it can be a blessing for anyone that's tuning in. So let's begin by defining disciple. Disciple is a learner who follows a master teacher. Disciple is a learner who follows a master teacher. That's the basic definition for disciple. If we take it down the historical lane, the art of learning in the Western lens as compared to the Middle Eastern lens is very different. Why is it different? A disciple during the time of Jesus was very relational and holistic. Discipleship meant much more than just a transformation or the transferring of information. It referred to modeling that rabbi that teaches life after your own so what happens his or her values are now yours his or her teachings and way of life has become yours get that this master teaching has now shaped your worldview why does this matter well because what jesus tells this eager scribe is very important and powerful like his intentions to tell this gentleman this describe is something that we can't overlook so let's see what happens right the scribe tells jesus that i will go or i will follow you wherever you go and jesus said to him verse 20 foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Almost sounds like a riddle. But what Jesus is telling the scribe is that he literally has nowhere to lay his head. Which ultimately means, are you sure you're really desiring to follow me? Because when you think about a... So let me compare it to this. I did several independent studies in college and what tends to happen is that you spend time doing research in the library but then you're constantly connecting with the professor that you're doing the independent study with and they're sort of directing you about where you can go to find a set of information and in some professors they give you a timeline and they want to see what you have done over a certain period of time to validate that you're putting in the work so that it can contribute to the finished product okay and think about how comfortable and amazing when it comes to the amount of material that is accessible for a college student in a lot of cases, when people are going to law school, there's an option where you can learn under that professor in the course system live in comparison to taking courses, which means you're learning on a job. And from what I've seen, even when it comes to show how to get away with murder, right? 
um, suits. These are examples of shows that speak to how there is the basic work that a person has, but there is a group of people that are selected to work under that professor, which means you're getting a lot of hands-on experience. And through that experience, what's transpiring is that maybe having a rude awakening of what you are to expect once you have that profession could shock you, could scare you, could put you in a place where you don't want to deal with it anymore. And I think what Jesus is doing here, right, is he's talking about what you're not going to have in this desire to follow me. This is why he's asking him, are you sure? Not literally asking him, are you sure? But he's laying out the circumstances that he's in, right? The truth of the matter is ministry, especially during that time, was hard, right? Jesus illustrates how foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But in, in, in ministry, wherever the people are is where you are. Wherever the people are is where they need your help. It's also about relying upon the hospitality of the people that you're serving. So I believe the question here is, are you truly down to serve in unbearable conditions at times? Are you more comfortable being in a nice, amazing place like how they do it now? Now... You know, you go to preach or you go to a location, they they book you in a hotel, they place you in a good, you know, they place your flight, they pay you for dinner, all these amazing things that come along with your ability to use your gift to bless other people with your wisdom and insight. Right? So, I believe Jesus is saying, are you okay with not having a home to go to? As you do ministry, it's not literally saying that, but these are the thoughts and the ideas that come to my mind with the statement that was proposed or said to the scribe. If Jesus gives you an order, are you going to listen? Because verse 18 says, now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave them orders to go over to the other side. So as a student. Can you take instruction? Are you hard-headed? Are you going to talk back? This is what you're in for. Even though the idea may sound nice and cool, can you actually obey? Can you listen? Can you follow instructions? Can you operate and move in a situation without knowing the outcome or the expectations? Other to be a blessing to somebody else at your own expense. Now, of course, we see plenty of examples of this in the book of Acts, right? And I don't want to take the time to provide all of that to you. But if you're in your book, you'll know. I'll give you a couple of examples. Look what happened between Barnabas and, and Paul. There was an issue of one of the people that Barnabas brought along with that pretty much deserted them. And Paul didn't want to do ministry over disagreement, but also over the fact that part of doing ministry is compromising yourself for the message of the gospel. And one of them 
left them. And that's why Paul's like, I can't do ministry with you, Barnabas. So they separated off of a disagreement. But that tends to happen. When you're in the fire and you're being tested, you need somebody that's going to go to war with you, that's going to stand next to you. We see this with Paul and Timothy when they got flogged and placed in jail and they were singing hymns. What transpired? What transpired is that they were there together and in the midst of being there together, they all suffered. This was what ministry was. You're going into places, whether God has people there or not, and you're preaching the gospel. And in the midst of doing that, people's hearts are not prepared, right? Also in the book of Acts with Paul, he ruined a person, a group of people's way of living because what he did was he stopped and cast out a, a, a devil out of one of them that messed with their economics. These are things that we have to keep in mind that when you're going to spread the gospel message, you're going to do ministry, you're corrupting and you're destroying the devil and his intentions in those areas. And part of that is you're, you're handicapping them. And, and when it comes to change and impact, not everybody's in a place to be able to transition to do that. And therefore, it's sort of like when you're choosing to follow Christ. You have some that got their foot in the door and their foot out. Why? Because they love the world. They love the things that the world provides. And in some cases, when you compromise that, you're going to see a change in life quickly. When you're not indulging in things that are not godly and you're taking a stand, you're going to lose things. You're going to lose friendships. You're going to lose relationships and connections because the change in philosophy, the philosophy, the philosophy for you has changed. And because of that, not everybody's on board with that. What I want to encourage is that when you read these scriptures, think about these things, right? I believe these are good and thoughtful questions to ask oneself if you're looking to go into different portions of ministry because it's not just getting up there and preaching in the pulpit. There's serving, there's other people on the staff that you may not like, but you want to get along because you want to present what it's like to be a brother and sister and to help others. And you're going to deal with these things. Okay, let's address the next portion. Let's go to verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this is a very interesting verse here because on the surface, it seems as though Jesus is being cruel. Right? All the disciple wants to do is bury his father. Now, if you think about it deeply, what does burying a member, a family member, do for an individual? Well, they could be saddened due to the sequence of events leading up to it. There's a lot of mixed emotions that is bound to occur if all depends on how much you've known that person and what they meant to you before their passing. Okay? It's a little bit of a psychological viewpoint. There's a lot to think about. Because now Jesus isn't discounting those feelings that the disciples has. But he makes an interesting point. And in scripture, there are opportune times where points are made that speak to situations that are multifaceted. Okay. 
those points happen to be teachable moments. If you catch them, they're very teachable moments. And they're multifacetedly used to address multiple situations. What Jesus says is follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So I started to think again. Right, I thought once again, and then it hit me. As part of burying his father, the disciple also is now able to collect his inheritance that the father left for him. Remember, an inheritance is the assets passed down to the individual after someone dies. Jesus then uses this moment this opportunity to explain to the disciple that by following him, that by believing in him as his teacher, as his master for spiritual, from a a spiritual point of view, he wants to inform this brother, this disciple, to allow those who are spiritually dead to bury their own dead. So ultimately as a follower of Jesus, a born again believer, you are alive in the spirit because of Jesus Christ. Right? He saved your souls. You have been redeemed. You are saved. Those who have rejected Jesus and are not redeemed, they're spiritually dead and they're not saved. So Jesus wants a disciple to understand. That is not about the wealth you receive due to your father's passing. He redirects it and places the emphasis on what he can provide that is not temporary, that doesn't run out, but that's everlasting. You see, the inheritance that Jesus provides is irrevocable. It's a gift with an emphasis on special relationship between the benefactor and the recipient. Unlike legal inheritance that disciples receive, that the disciple is going to receive due to the loss of the father, the benefactor, God, does not die. He doesn't die. And because he doesn't die, he provides material, material and spiritual blessings for his people in the correct timing here on earth and permanently once you'll be in his presence. See how slick and wise Jesus was? He took that situation and he spoke about what he wanted to go do, understanding what comes along with that. And then he focused on the emphasis of what he can provide. Right? A great distinction that I have mentioned and I'll provide it here using scripture is Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. And this is like a lot what was what I said earlier, right? It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which applies to the narrative of where will be the focus and attention for this disciple. Right? If he desires finances for his dad from his dad and not eternal life, well, that's up to him. The response Jesus gave him was a long-term visual understanding of how it can be beneficial. Right? So let's talk about that a little bit, right? 
let's say he becomes, let's say he, he emphasizes his inheritance from his father. He becomes wealth. He becomes wealthy due to his, what his father left him and, and lack of wisdom, lack of understanding, lack of maturity. He decides to spend it lavishly on foods, on drinking, on women. He ultimately becomes a glut. The reality is eventually that lifestyle is great in the moment, but it's not going to last you. And therefore it runs out. And you can say that you've enjoyed yourself. Sure. But of course, the time frame of that is short. Now, let's talk about the benefits of his of placing this emphasis on what Jesus is providing. If he follows Jesus, he's learning how to serve. He's learning how to be selfless. He's learning how to be like Christ. He's building up the kingdom of God. He's building relationships and connections. He's being productive with his time, his gift, his treasure. He's learning on the job in real time. He's learning how to connect no matter the circumstances. He's learning how to be content, no matter the circumstances. A lot of skills, a lot of habits are being built through the process. Now that's an amen. That's an amen. Now here's some passages that address the value of inheritance through Jesus Christ due to the finished work that was done on the cross for our benefit. And I want to point these verses out because I think they're very helpful and useful. The scripture says a lot about the inheritance that we're going to receive. And again, I thought it was very clever on what Jesus did. Right. One could call him an opportunist. And I think he's done that numerous times. If we're reading the scriptures and we're pausing and we're stopping, we're asking questions. We can see how amazing and how thoughtful and how intentional Jesus was with the responses he gave, how he gave them, and what he said ultimately. To change the worldview, to give a different insight, to have people question themselves, okay? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. And it says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. This is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Meaning because of his sacrifice and the shedding of his own blood, the saying he conquered death would mean he defeated it and therefore he becomes the only way you have eternal life. He becomes the only truth in life that will redeem you. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. It says, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Beautiful, right? Salvation and, you know, salvation and the forgiveness of sins is the is only something that he can do and address no one else salvation and forgiveness of sins is only something that jesus can do and address no one else now obviously this requires for us to repent 
and acknowledge that we are sinners and that we need saving. And this is the reality one must come to in order to be saved from pride, to be saved from dying in your own sins, to be saved by God who truly sets you free. If he says you're free, you're truly free indeed. Let's go to Acts 20, verse 32. Acts 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's go to verse Peter, chapter one, verses three through five. First Peter, chapter one, verses three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to live a to, to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beautiful, beautiful verse. The inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's go to Psalm 16, verse 5. Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. Let's do two more. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And the verse that connects us back ultimately to Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22, is Romans 8, 17, which says, we're going to look at Romans 8, verse 17. Now we are children, even we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. Part of sharing his suffering is being a disciple and bearing the truth in the way you live your life right there's a beautiful passage in philippians 3 verses 8 verses 10 through 12 i'll read this amplified version specifically we're going to go to philippians chapter 3 verses 10 through 12 and this so that i may know him experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely and in that 
same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers. And that is, I may share the fellowship of his suffering by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. Verse 11, so that I may attend to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, but this goal of being Christ-like or having already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. This is something we will understand once we start walking in the purpose as ambassadors and representatives of Christ. We begin to understand what it's like not only to be a disciple, but also to bear the suffering that Christ suffered. Now, we won't bear the suffering in the sense of the physical suffering that Christ did, but we will bear in the struggle and the resistance that comes with dealing with people that aren't saved and are resistant to the gospel. And we have to learn to respond accordingly with wisdom and intelligence and being thoughtful. So, I hope a lot of what I've shared today in reference to what is true discipleship and the everlasting when it comes to inheritance. There's an inheritance that you may see. Now, of course, I didn't mention what I think is important to mention here. Not everyone will receive a financial inheritance from their father and their mother or due to different circumstances. But the everlasting inheritance that you will receive that you can take to the bank and book it is the everlasting life. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ, right? Whoever believes in the son, you'll be saved. But more importantly, if you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life, then you'll have everlasting life or eternal life, depending on the translation. And on that note, we finish with devotional time. Go to John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. To the Jews who have become, who have believed him, to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What does true freedom look like? Ah, yes, Jesus says in John 10 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, when we, what are we told in Galatians 5.13? Not to use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature or do not use your freedom as an excuse to do what pleases your sinful selves. This takes practice. And if we continue to walk with God and obey his principles, his precepts, I believe we can improve day by day, day by day, if we are truly committed to living the Christian difference. Here's a prayer to close us out. I had an amazing time and I hope you have as well. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for grace and your mercy. As we continue on this journey called life, give us the strength, never give up, but the desire to please you so that we can be there when you say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you have hope, 
if you believe what you've heard today and it's blessed you, please say in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.